You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, good to see you this week, Northway family. Hope you're well. If you're uh, joining us for the very first time, I want to welcome you. My name is Shay Sumlin. I'm one of the pastors here at Northway, and we're glad you're with us. I'd love to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis, and um, as you make your way there to uh, chapter four, I want you to do me a favor uh, right when you get to chapter four, is just scan the back half of chapter four as well as peek over at chapter five. What is it you see when you look at those chapters? Something in common? There's a lot of names in these chapters. A lot of names. And let me just say, if you are going to be a church that is committed to expositional preaching of the Bible, which means we're going to go book by book, verse by verse, we're going to seek the whole counsel of the Word of God. We're not going to be driven necessarily topically, but really take the counsel of the Scriptures as they come. When you do that, eventually you are going to come to some chapters that are filled with names. And when the names appear, we've got two choices that are put in front of us here at this moment. One, we can view these names as not only names that none of us know how to pronounce anyways, but that seem irrelevant, distant, um, uh, and, and, and really find the need to skip over them so we can get to the quote where the meat is at and, uh, and move right on past them. Or we can uh, take another choice, and that is to consider that these names were actually recorded here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we're placed here on purpose for us to read because God felt there was some nutrients within these lists of names that were actually be helpful for us in our formation uh, as Christ followers. And uh, so I'm going to choose to lean to the latter. We're going to dive in for the next two weeks, not just this week, but next week with some of these names. But I trust as we do so, I think you're actually going to see the purpose of why these names are here. And you're going to find some incredible gold here if we're willing to lean into it uh, to help us in the overall story of the scripture and in God's purposes in redeeming a broken people for himself. And so when we left off last week, Brady did a masterful job walking through the front half of chapter four. And uh, what we saw last week was the very first picture in the Bible of what life looks like outside of the Garden of Eden. And so for the very first time, after Adam and Eve had sinned and fallen in the garden and the curse was placed over the earth, we now get this picture of what life is now going to be like east of Eden, outside of Eden. And uh, what we saw was really a picture that was marked by a lack of faith and trust in God, a rejection of God's provision for our sins, We saw a life that was characterized by jealousy and that culminated in the very first murder in the Bible with Cain killing his brother Abel. And from there, Cain was judged for his sin. He was banished from the presence of the Lord and sent out to be a wanderer. In many ways, that's a very clear picture of what rejection of God looks like is being removed from the presence of God and wandering as a lost person, not understanding who they are or why they're here. And yet, in the midst of that judgment, if you were here last week, in the midst of that judgment, what we saw is that God was actually still merciful, that he didn't take Cain's life immediately. Um, Though the wages of sin is death, and that will eventually come to Cain, 
God spared him from that. And in fact, in mercy, preserved his life um, as an act of mercy and as an act of grace for him. And, um, and so that's the story we covered last week. That's the picture we saw last week. But what comes next is this list of names. Now, why are these names here right after what we just read last week? They're here intentionally. And what you're gonna see is it's not just a list of names, but really a list of genealogies to be exact. And whenever you have a list of genealogies in the Bible, whenever you get to a big chapter that has a bunch of names in it, one of the helpful things to do is to actually look for some key divisions in the structure of how those names are placed that will give us a hint as to what we're intended to see through these names. And so when you look at chapter four, there are actually three really clear divisions in chapter four that each have a verse that begins the new section and it all begins the same. For instance, in chapter four, verse one, you see that Adam knew his wife and they conceived a son. And then when you get to verse 17, you're gonna see that again. This time Cain knew his wife and they conceived a son. And then again, in verse 25, Adam knew his wife again and they conceived another son. And these are the three clear divisions. We looked at the first one last week and looking at the move from Adam to Cain and, and, and who Cain was. But these last two breaks that we're gonna see, verse 17, verse 25, they're gonna frame out what we're gonna see here this week. And these are highlighting two distinct genealogical lines that are in contrast to one another. The line of Cain in verses 17 through 24 and the line of Seth starting in four, verse 25, all the way through the end of chapter five. And Cain's line is gonna include seven generations that will culminate up until the time of the flood. And Seth's line will be 10 generations that will also culminate up until the time of the flood. And so we're watching these two distinct genealogical lines of, of these brothers that are all heading towards the flood, but they could not be any more different in what they're showing us. And more than just listing two lines of genealogical names, what we are meant to see here is a picture of civilization being birthed civilization being forged and within it are two distinct cultures, two distinct, distinct cultures contrasting what life looks like living in a fallen world. One is the culture of Cain that will be characterized by a life of rebellion to God. And the other will be the line of Cain, the culture, I'm sorry, the culture of Seth, which will be characterized by a life in worship of God. And this is on purpose, because if you remember back in chapter three, verse 15, when God was cursing Satan in the garden, when he was cursing the serpent, he promised that from this point forward, there was gonna be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. They're gonna be contrasting. Now the question is, what is the seed of the serpent? What's Satan's seed? Are we talking about demons? Like who does Satan begat? And what we come to find out, and we'll see it highlighted here today, is those who are characterized as the seed of Satan are those who ultimately reject God. Anyone who rejects 
God and rejects the, tr- the trust that they are meant to place in God's provision for salvation is following in the footsteps of Satan who himself rebelled against God and was judged for it. And so you're gonna see a line of Cain that is truly the line of the serpent. And anyone who will put their trust in God, who will rest in God's provision for their means of salvation, they are going to be identified here with the line and the culture of Seth and Eve, ultimately the seed of woman who was trusting in the promise. So that being said, we're gonna look at a tale of two cultures here this afternoon. Let's start with a culture of Cain in verses 17 to 24. I'm gonna read this, just follow along with me. Starting in verse 17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod and Erod fathered Mahujael and Mahujael fathered Methushael and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah also bore Tubal, Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal, Cain, was Naamah. Now Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And so here we have a picture of the culture of Cain. Now, before we examine the culture of Cain, uh, one of the questions we need to address right out of the gate, which uh, if anybody is intuitive enough to pay attention here, always comes up in this text, and that is, who is Cain's wife? So do the math just a little bit. You've only got Adam and Eve on earth. And, and now they are given to one another and they have their first son, Cain. They have a second son, Abel. Abel was murdered. And now they're soon to have a third son. Um, and w- where does the wife come from? How does, Cain, how does Cain receive this wife? And here's the deal that we need to understand. Ultimately, the short answer is this is no doubt one of his close relatives. This is most likely a sister. Very well could have been a niece or a cousin. And before we go crazy right here. Let's think about this together. Genesis chapter five, verse four, that we'll look at next week, tells us that Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters. By the time Adam and Eve have Seth here in just a moment, we're going to be told that Adam was 130 years old. So we have a lot of years that are taking place in the first humans on earth, in the forefathers Um, that God has created here, there is a lot of time gap in these short verses where many, many children um, are being had. And in the earliest days of creation, when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, in the earliest days of creation, when lifespans were longer 
and where genetic mutations were fewer. This was a necessary thing. This was a provisional thing. Later, this practice would become, first of all, unnecessary. By the time we even have hints of this, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 20, there's almost taboo that this is stopped. This is not something you do is marry a sister or somebody that close. And then certainly by the time we get to Leviticus 18, it has been outlawed completely in Mosaic law. God forbids this practice, um, not only morally, but certainly also as we would come to know today from even some of the pragmatic genetic effects that this would bring about. Um, and so this was allowed. This was a necessary thing. Now, the thrust of this text is not centered in on Cain's wife. The, the author here is not concerned with where did Cain's wife come from, but we needed to speak to it for a moment. But what we're meant to see here in these verses is the forging of the first civilizations, the forging of the first cultures of humanity as we know it on earth. And it's important to note that even under the curse, even through a line of wicked people such as Cain, the common graces of the creation mandate are still at play in God's creation. God's image bearers who have been called to subdue the earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, are still doing that even after the curse. And that's a good thing. God still has common grace for believer and non-believer alike that are intended to lead towards human flourishing. And you see four of those common graces highlighted here in the culture of Cain. We'll look at a few of them just briefly here. Verse 17, we see three of them. One, even under the curse, marriage continues. Still a gift of God and still designed for human flourishing. We see family continues. Having children still continues. It's still part of God's design. We see cities that are built. We see entire communities that are now forged that can be used for human flourishing. That's a good thing. In addition, in verses 21 and 22, we're gonna see civilization get cultivated through those cities, through industry. And the advancements of technology, the advancements of culture that God's creation, he's given the intellect and the mind and the skills and the abilities to bring to bear in order to subdue this earth and lead towards human flourishing is a good thing. And in fact, you notice some of the contributions here. Notice the three brothers in verses 21 and 22, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal, which by the way, make a note, this is the first act of creative parental naming in the Bible. I'm told these are the three most popular names that year. And uh, notice their contributions here. Jabal is the father of tents and livestock. He is the pioneer of agriculture. So where many of the Bedouin communities will come from is nomadic wanderings, cultivating lands and farming. Jubal, and by the way, I realize in Hebrew, these are all, it would be Yabal, Yubal, but I'm just doing some English on us right now. Is that cool, Logan? All right, making sure. Uh, Jubal, he is the father of the lyre and the pipe. And so this is the pioneer of arts and music. You start seeing forged into culture as a good common grace given by God. You see Tubal, Tubal Cain here. He is the father of bronze and iron. He, in other words, he's the pioneer of metallurgy. He is the uh, forger of instruments, 
technological advancements that are gonna be used not only in agriculture, but also to help build these cities. And so all of these are pioneers right here. And again, what we see that's a beautiful thing is even under the canopy of sin's curse, even from the line of rebellious people such as Cain, we can see so many common graces that God is so good to give that contribute to the advancing good of a society and a civilization. And we should be thankful to God for that, for the contributions of both believers and non-believers alike who bring their abilities and their skill sets to bear. I'm so thankful for the contributions. We live in one of the most advanced, obviously the most advanced civilization in the history of the planet because of God's gift of common grace. And many of you are right now actively contributing in your jobs, in your work, that are seeing good that is made for the good of humanity. No job insignificant, no job too small, all needed and useful for civilization and for the forging of cities and humanity. It's a good thing. So God's overall design is in place. However, that's not actually what we're intended to see in this text, even though certainly it's there. What we're intended to see as we juxtapose these two lines is we see that within these common graces of Cain's line, we also see a clear corruption of civilization as well. Even though Cain's line creates a culture of great advancements of civilization, understand that in the name of progress, when you operate apart from God, you are actually contributing to the culture's decline more than its advancement. And that's what we're gonna see in this text. You're gonna see a picture here of the kind of culture that mankind will produce when they seek to cultivate civilization apart from God and apart from God's design. Three things, and I think these three things you're gonna see here are the same three things that we see on display more than ever in our culture as well. You're gonna see a diminishment of God's glory you're gonna see a disintegration of marriage and family, and you're gonna see a devaluing of human life. And whenever those three things are present in a civilization, you are not witnessing an advance, you are witnessing a decline. You are not witnessing progress, you are actually witnessing regress. And you see this here. First, notice the diminishment of God's glory. Now remember, from chapter four, verse 14, when Cain was judged, he was judged to be a wanderer. His consequence was to be removed from the presence of God and wander out on his own. And thereby he was gonna have to, he was gonna have to depend upon God still for protection and provision along the way. But notice the first thing that Cain did. If you remember back in verse 16, even though he's judged to be a wanderer, what's the first thing that he did? He settled, he settled. He didn't wander very far. He went and set up shop, immediately builds a city, a permanent, set, a permanent settlement as a way of saying, no, God, I'm not gonna play by your playbook. I'm not gonna put myself in a position where I have to be dependent upon you, where I have to be dependent upon your mercy, where I have to be dependent upon your provision, where I have to be dependent upon your protection. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna forge this thing on my own. And so he builds a city of man apart from the presence of God. And notice in verse 17, 
he names the city after his son Enoch. Now, do you know what Enoch means? It means commencement. We're going to start something new. And in many ways, what's going on here, this is a way of saying, we're going to start this whole thing over apart from you, O God. And he is naming this first city after his son, after God, after he just murdered his brother, God shows him immense mercy. You would think the first thing that he'd do if he's going to name anything is after God for being such a merciful and forgiving God. And yet he names it after his own dynasty. See, Cain exists not for the exaltation of the glory of God. Cain exists for the exaltation of the glory of self. He is going to build an entire city that will glorify man rather than glorify God. And this is one of the hallmarks of a culture that begins to decline is when we take God's glory and replace it with our own. But the second thing that you see in verses 19 through 22 is the disintegration of marriage and family that also comes within this culture of Cain. We see another first there in verse 19. Did you catch that? And Lamech took two wives. Uh Uh-oh. You are meant to feel a deviation for this. Now, we don't feel it as much. You know why? Because when we covered the design of marriage, it was a month ago at Northway. But when you were the original recipient of this in the wilderness, you just heard this a few minutes ago of what God's design for marriage and human flourishing is. And this would be a shocker to the hearer to go, whoa, something just deviated here. And so so he's gonna take this. We're see the first instance of polygamy here. Polygamy was never a part of God's design for marriage and human flourishing. The design for one man and one woman and the covenant of marriage for life that was established by God in Genesis 2. It was signed into law in Exodus 20. It was ratified by Jesus in Matthew 19. And it is ultimately gonna find its consummation when Christ returns and takes for himself his bride once and for all. One of the reasons God created marriage, as we saw a few weeks ago, between a man and a woman is that it would stand forever as an illustration of the way that God perceives himself in relationship to his people, from Christ to the church. You know why? Because in exclusive oneness, what we learn about God is that God does not want to share his love with anyone else. One bride that he has purchased for himself, and he will not share his love with another. It is exclusive. And so Lamech's taking of two wives here is a clear deviation from God's design. And you need to know everywhere you see polygamy in the scriptures as it's being described, and by the way, polygamy is never being prescribed. You will not find it prescribed. Now, out of God's mercy, knowing a sinful creation will still rebel against him, God instituted laws that would protect the dignity and equality of each of the wives if you were in that situation, but it was never prescribed. It was always running counter to God's design of one man, one woman for life. But whenever you see it described in the Bible, it always leads to chaos in the home. You always see the tension, whether it's with Abraham, whether it's with David, even some of God's, God's redeemed people who still enter into this sin 
it always leads to chaos in the disintegration of the family. And you see this begin here with the, with the culture of Cain. Thirdly, though, you also see the devaluing of human life in verses 23 and 24. Notice in verse 23 and 24, Lamech is gonna sing a sonnet to his wives. Now, the last time that we saw, there's only been two songs sung in Genesis thus far, and the other one was to another wife. When Adam sang over his wife, when God created Eve, and he sang a Hebrew sonnet, this is, this is bone of my bones, this is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Ish, ah, because she was taken out of Ish. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It was this love song lavishing over what God had made and provided for him. This is a weird love song right here. This ain't no love song. Look at verse 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Now, this is interesting right here. That, some, have, some scholars have said, have noted, this is not Solomon's song of songs right here. This is the song of the sword. This is some weird sonnet. And what he's doing is he's boasting to his wives about some conflict he got in, some sort of mishap with somebody else. They got into some altercation and this other man hit him. And so in return, he killed him. And he's boasting about this. Second murder you've now seen in, in uh, Genesis now. And remember, and he's boasting here, he's now daring anybody to come avenge it, to come try to take him out for what he did. Nobody can touch me. And where did he get this from? Because remember in, in God's mercy to Cain, in Cain's judgment for killing Abel, God was merciful in sparing his life and promised Cain that if anybody tried to kill him, they would pay seven times for Cain's life. There's a mercy. And so now Lamech says, I've killed somebody just like my forefather. And I've killed someone. And if anyone's gonna try to take me out and he invokes God's promise to Cain on him as a license, as a trump card to go, if anybody dares to come after me, they're gonna pay 10 times as much as they were gonna pay for Cain's life. I want you to make a note right here. This is the first time in human history where sin isn't just committed, it's celebrated. First time. And you can already see the decline now in just seven generations. Think about this. When Adam and Eve sinned, they responded by hiding and blaming. When Cain sinned, he responded by lying and by denying. And when Lamech sins, he now responds by boasting and celebrating. This is how far we've come in just seven generations. And this is the irony of ironies, is that although a civilization can advance through their innovative technology and all the progress, when it seeks to operate apart from God, it is simultaneously declining at the same time. Progress and regress at the same time. No value for human life, no dignity for marriage and family, and no acknowledging 
the worthiness of God's glory. Those three things will destroy a culture more than anything else. The diminishment of God's glory, the disintegration of marriage and family, and the devaluing of human life. And yet those are the same three things that aren't just committed today, they are celebrated today. It has become increasingly popular to boast and even publicly post one's departure from their faith, to openly mock God, to go into a world that God has breathed out for us, that God has spoken and brought into existence, all the common graces around us, to go in and use the gifts and the abilities and the talents that he has given us and to make much of our own name with them to diminish the glory of God and to go build cities and to build towers and to build monuments for our own glory as if we were the ones who had all the creative energy to come up with everything and not God. We are a people who celebrate our own redefinitions of marriage, who even though God has said, this is what leads to the flourishing of humanity, Take my word at it. One man, one woman for life. We love to boast and to celebrate our own new versions of what relationships and unions can look like and to boast on redefinitions of gender and human sexuality and mock God in the process of it. And yes, we are a culture who more than ever celebrates violence and celebrates death whether it is the death of a child in the womb or whether it is someone who thinks they can go into a supermarket and take out 10 individuals because of the color of their skin, because they somehow believe that they are more superior than another human being and who writes manifestos about it, has chat rooms to celebrate that monument of the devaluing of a human life. Whether it's from the womb to the tomb, we throw parades today over murder. Never before have we celebrated these same three sins like we are doing in our culture today. And it's nothing new. It started with our own forefathers right here. This is the culture of Cain. We must be a people who proclaim the glory of God, who preserve the dignity of marriage and family who protect the dignity of all of life, lest we prove to be of the culture of Cain, which is ultimately the culture of the serpent. And what we see here in the culture of Cain is the exact same thing you will see in any culture where God is rejected. It will always lead to dissent. And why you have these seven generations here is because it will ultimately culminate in the days of Noah where God will actually wipe the slate clean and start over. That's how fallen humanity got. Now, why is this here, by the way, in addition? There's another important reason. Because the original recipients of this text, remember who they were. The Israelites who had just come out of the Exodus, out of slavery in Egypt. And they're in that in-between wandering wilderness in between Egypt and heading towards Canaan. What are they about to walk into? What did they just come out of? They came out of cultures where Yahweh, the true God, was mocked, was not celebrated. It was was multiple gods who were honored in the name of 
mankind built up in their towers and monuments. They're going into a culture where there is polygamy all around them in redefinitions of marriage. They're going into a culture where there is child sacrifice and violent murder in the dehumanization of human life. And this is God's way of showing his people, you were not brought out of Egypt to synchronize with the culture of Cain. I have set you apart for something different. And so to that end, where's the hope? Lord knows, gosh, if we ended right here, this would be just awful. Like, welcome to Northway. Hope you're having a real good week. Where is the hope? I'm glad you asked because there's not just one line in culture here in this text. There's another one. And we see this at the end of the chapter, the last two verses. And with it, another culture, one that stands in stark contrast to the culture of Cain. And that is the culture of Seth. Follow with me in verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born. And he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Three things I want you to notice here that are in juxtaposition to what we saw in the culture of Cain. First of all, notice the posture of Seth as compared to that of Cain in the naming of his firstborn son and the culture and the civilization that will come out of this line. Notice here, Seth names his son Enosh. Now, you know what Enosh means? It means weakness. It means mortal frailty. This is a declaration of Seth's acute awareness concerning his inability to change his own estate. This is a declaration of his humble dependence upon God to actually be the one who can do something about it. And it's a quite different declaration than the one Cain made with Enoch. A commenced life on your own, apart from God, laced with self-sufficiency. I don't need you, God. I can do it myself. And here comes Seth going, no, I can't. I am totally weak. I am totally insufficient for a life apart from you, God. I need you and I need the promise you gave to my mom and I'm gonna trust you for it. And I'm gonna name my son weakness because it's out of weakness that we're gonna see your strength. It's a completely different culture. The second thing though that you notice here, for the first time in the Bible, we are introduced to the formal worship of God. And not just any God, not even just Elohim, the the almighty creator God we saw in one and two, but notice in your Bible, there are small all cap letters for the last word there of Lord, which when you see that in your Bible, speaking of Yahweh, the personal covenant keeping name of God, because this is the God that knows his people, loves his people and keeps his promises concerning their salvation and redemption. And it's interesting because Cain's line gave the world many great contributions, cities, civilization, industry, innovations, and yet all of it was laced with total corruption, total deviation, total rebellion to God, and total commitment to self. And yet Seth's line 
is only noted for one thing, worship, the worship of God. Now, make no mistake, both are needed for the advancement uh, of civilization. But it's the latter with Seth that will always serve as the true mark of how advanced we really are, is our worship of God. And you see that set forth in the culture of, of Seth. And then thirdly and finally, I want you to notice this. Through this line of Seth, God is going to prove faithful to preserve his promise of an ultimate redeemer who will come and undo all that sin has broken. And here's where some of the structure is going to help you in this chapter. I mentioned back in chapter one that Genesis has 10 major divisions in the first 11 chapters known as the Toledotes. Toledot is the Hebrew word for generations. And every section begins in the same way. And these are the generations of, and these are the generations of, these are the Toledotes of. Well, I want you to note that verse 26, the end of chapter four, marks the end of the first Toledot that we've covered now. The first Toledot began in chapter two, verse four, and it ends in chapter four, verse 26. You'll see the next Toledot begin in next week in chapter five, verse one, and these are the generations of. And so what we saw back in chapter two, the beginning of the first Toledot was the generations of the heavens and the earth. And the scene that we were invited into in chapter two at the beginning of the Toledot was the worship of God for being creator. All, everything that God made was good. There was nothing broken in the world. There was no sin. There was nothing. It was all good every single day that God created. We're even told in Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glories of God. They were worshiping God from the very beginning. And we were invited into that worship. And then chapter three hits, total darkness. Total darkness from sin and sin's curse breaks everything. And then by the time we get to chapter four, that darkness descends all the way down to the time of the flood. But before this Toledot ends, there's a reason why we're introduced. If we were writing this, we'd probably start Seth's line in chapter five. That would be a nice break. But that's not where the Toledot ends. It actually begins, it ends with the beginning of Seth. And in many ways, this is why it's placed here. It is inviting us back to worship. It started with worship, will end with worship, even though darkness has invaded it. Why can we still worship? Because of the birth of a child. And you see this, you see this here. Um, the birth of Seth was proof to Eve that God's promise was not done, that she was not hoping in vain. And we know that Eve hoped. Remember, Eve was there when the serpent was being cursed. And she heard that out of her own seed, her descendants was gonna come a son who would crush the serpent and redeem them from everything that has been broken. She's hoping for that son. She thought it was Cain. And she even named him. Here he is. It's essentially what Cain means. It wasn't him, far from it. Well, maybe it was Abel. Well, he just got murdered. And now you can sense the humility in Eve as her thirdborn comes and she names him God has appointed. God has appointed another seed. 
maybe this. Now, what we know, Seth would not be the promised one, but his line is the promised line. And if you do your genealogical math, and I can save you, give you a cheat sheet this week, just turn to Luke chapter three, and you can trace the line from Seth all the way from seed to seed to seed to seed over generations that culminates in this child that is born in Bethlehem, whose name is Jesus, the promised Messiah who would come and he would undo all that is broken, starting by the removal of the very penalty of sin, which was death, when he went to a cross for us and he took the death that we deserved and he did it in our place and took the, the just wrath of God that we deserve for our sins, was taken off of us and placed on Jesus. And by trusting in his work on the cross, his shed blood, that blood that poured out on that cross was sufficient to cover our sins white as snow. And for anyone who trusts in him, we receive that righteousness as a free gift of grace of God. But it didn't stop there because Jesus rose from the grave after he had died triumphing over sin, Satan, and death. And through that now gives us the resurrection power given by the Holy Spirit who indwells in all those who believe upon him that now not only helps with by the removal of the penalty of sin, but now can overcome the very power of sin that wages war against us. All the temptations, all the addictions, all the brokenness that enslaves us, we've been given a life-giving power from Jesus who rose from the dead. And one day when Christ returns, the very presence of sin will be eradicated once and for all. Now we have that information with 2020 hindsight. Seth didn't have all that information, but he knew. God told my mama, there's one coming. And Seth and his descendants said, you know what? In a world where everybody's walking away from God, I'm gonna trust God for that. I'm going to rest in it. I'm going to hope in it. Seth, Seth believed upon that promise and thus gave their lives and his descendants basically said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And for the first time, we see corporate worship going on right here. Passed down and you're going to see it next week in the descendants of Seth. Not perfect people, none of us are, but a people who understood their weakness and the provision of God's mercy and they trust in it. And so what are we left with? Close here. We are given this week two lines, two genealogies, two cultures, two choices. Whom will we identify with? See, the truth is the scriptures say that every one of us are born into the family of Cain. We are conceived in sin, brought forth in iniquity. We are under the bondage of sin. There's no escape from it. But to the one who will trust in the promise of God's redeemer, Jesus Christ, we can be adopted into the line and the culture and the family of Seth, into the line of the promise, into the seed of the woman, out of the seed of the serpent. And that truth, that promise is available to us. And that gospel now 
comes and transforms every area of our life. Where we're not like Cain, where we're not gonna set out and seek to build a life about self-sufficiency. We don't need God, I can do it on my own. I'm gonna make a name for myself. We don't need that. We're not gonna have a life where we are gonna deviate from God's design because we think we can do it better. We're not gonna have a life where we're gonna devalue other human life because we know that God is the giver of life and he's even given us second life in Jesus Christ. How precious are every image bearer that God has ever made on this earth, no matter of your socioeconomic class, your race, your ethnicity, where you grew up, whether you're from Oklahoma, you're still loved, all right? This is all yours in Christ Jesus. And for us, we get the unspeakable privilege now, y'all, of rather than, rather than diminishing the glory of God, let's go out and proclaim the glory of God. Let's use our work. Let's use our, our play areas. Let's, let's use our hobbies. Let's use everything that God's given us and to leverage it for a name for him, not for us. And rather than, rather than disintegrating the the family and marriage, let us go preserve God's glory in relationships. Let's align according to God's plan, trusting that that is what's gonna bring forth human flourishing, starting in our singleness. And if God should be so gracious to grant a husband or a wife and children, let's be faithful where we're at. And let's go out with an all-out commitment to protecting all human life. Life in the womb, life from the immigrants, life from ethnic minorities, life from all the way to the tomb. Let's defend it all. Amen? This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the hope of the line and the culture of Seth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text, for the reminder that we do live in a broken and fallen world. And if it were not for your grace and intervening mercy, then all of us would go the way of Cain. And who knows how far we would descend. But oh, by your grace, because you loved us with an everlasting love, you have sent your son Jesus to rescue us out of the line of Cain and to adopt us into the promise of Seth. And so God, would you help us to live lives out of that grace where we could see your glory magnified, where we could see your design preserved for marriage and family, and we can see all of human life protected in such a way that would bring you the most glory and certainly our humanity the most good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.